as artists, we're kind of, I would consider like creative athletes in a sense. We have to keep sharp our mindsets. We have to be healthy, but then also like expose goodness into the world. Cause like a lot of attention is on us now too. They, they look at us for like shoe collaborations. Yeah. Like, like they used to be all athletes, but it went from, from athletes to musicians. And yes. now artists. Yes. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life. And that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. Out of the game. Welcome back. Point forward. I'm Andre. Y'all know E.T. E.T., we got a lot to talk about this week. Some interesting news. Yep. And I'm calling it. This is the episode where we separate ourselves from the pack. Remember last week when you asked, how does a podcast measure success? Well, I figured out the answer. What? What are we talking about? Numbers? No, I'm talking about range. Like, look at a, a lot of pods, like, around the world. Most of the basketball pods can only talk hoop. Some of the better ones, they'll, they'll give you like basketball and some like maybe a little bit of culture. But us, right. we give you a full experience, like a broad scope across different topics. And, you know, in certain people's hands, it could kind of get a little wave. But, you know, for us, it seems like it's effortless. And I think that's what really separates us, makes us trend up. So if we were a streaming network, who would we be? We are, I, I like HBO Max. Ooh. Hey, only, Ooh. Problem with, only problem with HBO Max is one problem. They've been fixing it, though. What? They don't have the best engineers, so I don't want to. Sh- but they have the best shows, bro. By they far, are. by far, different but world. They get, Martin, they get, Fresh they get, Prince. They like. get glitchy. They get glitchy, and they got succession. They get glitchy on. Um, they get glitchy in the air, but they fixing I'm, it. They about to merge with Discovery, I, I, I think. I, I understand. I'm 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 all right with that. Like, all, right, all right, I like it. You, I if like they it. there for me like ninety some percent of the time. Cool, bro. But like. If I go to HBO Max, I don't have I don't have a issue of finding something to watch. I yeah, always you, have something that I can really say, "All right, I'm good." Entourage, bro, everything, everything. bro. You be like they got this too, like, <laughs> bro. It's it's tight, wild no, out there. When they when I saw they had Regina, Regina King, Regina King and Boondocks. Yes, you know. Speaking of range, <laughs> this week we have a buzzing artist out of Chicago, Louis De Guzman. He has a really special perspective that we're excited to share with you today. Yeah, I'm definitely hyped about that. Before we start, we get topics. I do want to remind everybody, look out for us on TikTok, IG, uh, Substack, especially this week. Uh, the usuals at Point Forward is where you can find us on those platforms. Also, make sure you're catching us on Apple, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to or watching your podcast. Point Forward. Yo, so how'd you feel about last week's conversation with Lowry marking it? Yeah, I was I, I enjoyed it. He's a quiet yeah. guy. Um, I felt like we got him out of his shell a little bit. I think this season is proven uh, he's still not that well known. Uh, but despite playing well, he has an opportunity to be in that you know most improved player conversation, which is you know we have our thoughts on the most improved player conversation. Um, I mean, I think we saw what he can do early on in his career. So mm-hmm. you know, but I don't see anyone else uh, that has that big of a jump. You know. And we talked about that. Circumstances yeah. is really most improved player. You know, just circumstances yeah. changing. Actually, um, you know, speaking of, you know, conversation we're having today, uh, just let's have some fun today. I think I think that's the mode we got to be in. 
considering, you know, all the stuff that's going on. You know, the men's and women's NCAA tournament is kicking off this week. So, E.T., the men's and women's NCAA tournament is here. Mm-hmm. Um, we both shared our time and, and our experiences that we've had in the NCAA tournament. Um, there's some interesting facts, you know. I just heard your boy Dame speak on this this past week where he spoke on he doesn't like the way where the NBA is going. And I think it has something to do with stats like these. Um, there's a lot of money going around during tournament time. More mm-hmm. than 17% of American and adults or 45 million people wager $3.1 billion, that's a B, on the 2022 March Madness Tournament, mm-hmm. according to American Gaming Association research. Um, so I think it's probably going to go higher with more states adding on. Um, I did see one state just rejected again, which is interesting. Um, but just your thoughts on the tournament, the gaming of the tournament. Uh, I think a lot of folks, um, you know, you got your work pools. A lot of yeah. folks fit putting out tournament brackets. I think that is a great, exciting energy. Um, but you do have, on the other end of the spectrum, a lot of folks who uh, casual basketball fans that only watch the NBA. And I think they say they don't feel like NCAA hoop is as good. Um, so just want to hear your thoughts on everything going on around the talk of uh, amateur athletes, if that's the correct word yeah. anymore. Well, March Madness is like one of the best times of the year, like just in general. So mm-hmm. like the excitement, like the electricity, even if you're a casual fan, it's still something like to get into. So I've always dug that. I agree, you know, I don't think the college game has been great. You know, someone like the past five or six years, I guess. But I mean, I guess it's just, that's the trend of sports, but I've never really correlated that with, uh, you know, my enjoyment of, you know, watching uh, college basketball because at the end of the day to fill out a bracket and to be able to get emotionally invested and keep up with it for like, what, two weeks is, is decent, especially when you have a team involved and, you know, a horse in a race. But I mean, the only thing I don't like about it is when they moved up the teams. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So it's like... A, well, it, it saturates a lot too because now, like when you do like you do like award books and everything like that, you might have a coach be like, "Yo, he made the tournament ten straight years." That's not, you know, what I'm saying. Participation like trophy. Yeah, yeah, or like people are negotiating off making a tournament. Now you got bad coaches stuck in the same area, terribly teaching the same nonsense that probably could be messing up the game of basketball. Like the one thing that's getting unhidden. With college sports, I think, is like, uh, you know, how heavy coach-based it is. So, like, when it comes down to it being heavy coach-based and everything, they say technically you take after, like, you know, the reputation of the coach. So, mm-hmm. like, if the team is bad, who are you blaming? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Much more than just the players getting to blame for it. Yeah, well, I think I think that's what made the NIT more competitive. Like, when yeah. we used to watch the NIT back in the day, it would be some good players. Like, guys are going to for the draft. They still putting in work, getting ready for yep. the draft. Like, the NIT, NIT used to be good. Yo, my freshman year, it was uh, it was us in the Final Four. It was us, Ole Miss, Florida, and UMass. So, oh, wow. like, we were, all, we were all top 25 at one point. So, in, <laughs> yeah. that, so in that joint, it was, like, me, Costa Kufis, he went first round, Chandler Parsons. Mm-hmm. Nick Kalathis, uh, who was the Alex Tyus. It was like 10 or 12 NBA players yep. 
within that tournament. And like, honestly, that was my freshman year. That tournament got you prepared for like the next season because you got real reps. Because even leading up into there, you had Chris Wright, Flight Wright. Yeah. He played for Dayton. You had Brian Roberts that played for Dayton. There's a lot of like NBA players in that tournament. You know what I mean? So it made it made for the NIT to be relatively fun. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. Now I think they can't go back, which is interesting. So it's it's, it's it'll be it'll be something to see where how they go forward with, with that NIT. Um but going into the tournament Who's your favorite? I guess the question is, why don't people watch NCAA as much uh, as professional? Because for me, growing up, I would watch college yeah, me more too. than I would watch the NBA. But then once I got to the league, once I got to year like four or five, and I start getting distance from the guys in college, I stopped paying attention more than more than ever. But why is yeah. that? Because we just we got young guys not going to college as much, or they got so many different routes. Is is so many? Is too many leagues bad? Is too is is too many leagues good? Because we keep talking about live golf is good for golf because it's raising the money. But are all these leagues good for you know our, our athletes? Yeah, I mean, I I guess one thing that made it tough, like uh, you know, as you got older and playing more of the game, I felt like you know it's the same way they say a coach can. You know, once you coach basketball, you just can't watch it carefree. You know what I'm saying? So once you play at a certain level, I think for myself, that was like kind of tough to watch college in a sense up until, you know, March Madness or somebody I really enjoy watching. But um, I don't know if the league really, uh, too many leagues really mess up the game, but you have to really weigh the, of, of the value of, of what leagues are. You know what I'm saying? So there's a place for everybody to play it. So, and then there's a voice for everything. So then when you add it up, there's people that are going to figure out reasons why they like something much more than like the the overall result, you know? It could be like one little intangible and be like, this is why I like it. And you know what I'm saying? And that's like all that, that matters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great take, great take. So who are, who are you looking for um, on both sides? Who do you see um, winning the tournament? Or just the men's side for right now. I get to the For the side. men's side? I got a uh, thing for men's side. Damn, who else? Who would I just choose? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> for the women's side, I literally got Ohio State versus South Carolina. All right, but men's and side. I, that's South. I have South Carolina winning. For that's the easy. men's side, let me check. I, I think I had a UCLA. Uh, oh, UCLA uh, is would be a good pick for one of the top teams. I mean, we had like eight number ones this year. Alabama. Is up there. UCLA is up there. Arizona just beat UCLA in a Pac-10 or Pac-12 championship tournament game. Actually, yo, I'm t- I'm tweaking, bro. I got Purdue winning. That's not a bad pick. I got Purdue beating Kansas, I believe. Oh, Kansas is a good and, pick too. And I'm a, and I'm and low but key, Texas I, was a good team this year too. Nah, bro. Grady Dick is like that. That's his real name. Yeah, bro. Yeah, he can play some ball. Grady Dick can play some ball. Grady Dick can go, bro. I got him, and then I got uh, – I, I think I like Purdue a lot, bro. Okay. I hate to say it considering, but I, I got Purdue going. I think I got Purdue going going winning it all, bro. I'm not mad at that. Zach Eady, player of the year. UConn was number one that, during the year, too. They got a four seed, though, I saw. Um, Arizona. Um, Arizona won the Pac-12. Duke did win the uh, – ACC tourney, but I want to know who won the ACC regular season. 
The tourney um, could get fluky. Miami won the ACC for the season. Yeah, bro. Shout out to uh, oh, shout yeah. out to Coach Larry Nega, bro. Isaiah Wong. They got some good players, bro. Yeah. Nigel oh, they have, they have some they have some good transfers this Nig- year. I remember yeah, that trans yeah. the NIL yep. transfer portal we talked about last year. Yeah, we lost we yeah. lost them by one hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, shoot, that was it was a good investment. Buddy got his extension probably. De- wow, talking shit, et. Talking <laughs> shit. <laughs> it is what it is. You can't call it. You know what I mean? No, that's real. Because it's, That's I mean, real. and on the women's side, you know, speaking of March, March Madness and, and March still being Women's History Month. Man, that's I, I like, I'm more excited for that tournament. Like, you got UConn, bro. You got Stanford. Yep. You, Stanford, you got South yep. South Yep, yep. And, like, yep. the Big Ten was popping this whole year for, like, yeah, women's yeah, yeah. basketball. Iowa, so still Ohio got State. Clark. Yeah, 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 yeah. Indiana is tough, bro. Indiana is tough. Like, like yeah, bro. I, yeah. Damn, bro. Like, yeah. Cameron Brink from uh, LSU. Stanford. LSU got a LSU squad. is cracking too. Yes, it's, I'm. 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 I'm locked I might in. be tuning. Yeah, I yes. might. I might be tuning in more. Yes. More for. Uh, yes. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I, LSU that, got that, a rapper. Or LSU got a rapper yeah, with bars. Yeah, yes. yeah, that was hard. No, I know I be bullshitting, but I dead ass will be watching the women's tournament over the men's, bro. Yeah, I'm not joking. Yeah. I, all right. Yeah, for sure. All right. Yeah, yeah it's That's gonna real. be real. It's gonna be lit, but ain't nobody beating uh, South Carolina. So, yeah, I got them. I got them beating my Buckeyes by fifteen, yeah. Yeah, eighty to sixty-five. Good. Damn, Evan. It's <laughs> <laughs> like telling the girls, like, yeah, you know your dream of winning a national title. That shit uh-uh. gonna be a blowout, <laughs> <laughs> bro. There's nothing funnier. When, did you see when Duke tweeted? Like UNC trying to get into the tournament, and they showed Jamal Adams. They showed a Jamal Adams clip. No, <laughs> like I didn't see that. Not being able to get into the practice. So they tweeted that from their Twitter. That shit was hilarious. That's wow. It's petty, too, bro. I be hot. I actually bro, like that, it. I like it. Bro, that team too good to not make the tournament, dog. Right? <laughs> Point. Forward. Well, E.T., this past weekend was very interesting for me, um, considering uh, uh all the tech investments I've made. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank went under. Uh, there was a bank running, meaning everyone took all their money out the bank, meaning they had no deposits left, meaning they couldn't cover loans, uh, et cetera. It's a crazy week. Um, so when the startup-focused lender, Silicon Valley Bank uh, Financial Group last week became the largest bank to fail since the 2008 financial crisis, it sent shockwaves through the global financial system and prompting regulators to step in to contain the fallout. It was a true fallout. So a lot of the tech startups, um, they use a Silicon Valley Bank, you know, whether it be for payroll, um, you know, they're heavily invested in the tech space as well. Um, so a lot of my companies have a lot of their money at Silicon Valley Bank. There are a few other comp- banks as well, but Silicon Valley is probably, probably the main one. Uh, I think about half the startups use it. And so it's, it's not the Googles or the Facebooks. It's the early stage. It's the future Facebooks, the future Googles, you know, the future um, Apples that are mm-hmm. at this bank. And so I think it was very smart for um, the government to come in and assist. You know, uh, it affects all types of brands and businesses ranging from pharmaceutical companies to more consumer-facing companies like, you know, Stitch Fix and Roblox. Um, but, but it seems to be... You know, the question is, in layman terms, what happened? Um, From what I've read, uh, the bank 
wasn't as diversified as it should have been. Um, they had a, they took a lot of their deposits and put it in mortgage-backed bonds. And when you have mortgage-backed bonds, it uh, can be highly affected or essentially is affected by, you know, uh, interest rates. And so when the Fed was raising rates and we saw uh, some interest rates be the highest of our lifetime, you know, it sent the value of those mortgage-backed bonds basically to the bottom, to the pits. And so, uh, you know, you had a lot of pensions. Uh, you had a lot of teachers' uh, pensions. Uh, you had a lot of folks who were invested in Silicon Valley Bank or had their money there. Uh, a lot of their money was tied up in these mortgage-backed bonds, which weren't as valuable. So they started trying to pull it out to save their losses. And uh, Peter Till had an interesting tweet that sent some shockwaves through the world. And once you get – it's like a snowball effect. Once you get a group of people taking their money out and some – conversations start being had about it and everybody else runs and tries to make take their money out uh so i think they were short a couple billion but they would have been backed by goldman sachs i think it was another bank who were going to come in and help them out but by the time they were getting to helping them out and signing the paperwork it was too late and uh we we had a run on the bank which could happen to any bank that was the interesting part no one's talking about like this truly could happen to any bank Uh, a lot of small banks uh, or having some troubles as well, a lot of folks pulling out. So it was just a very interesting situation. If if you want to learn more, go back to like the nineteen, the early nineteen thirties. I think I read a book. I forgot the name of it. I'll, I'll get it and have it for our next Substack um, to what essentially happened on the market crash in the nineteen thirties and how it all happened. It's always similar, but hopefully, when things like this happen. Um, we learn from it, and it's all it's politics involved as well, uh, especially mm-hmm. with how the feds were trying to move the rates from what happened with the uh, PPP loans that we all put back into the markets and, mm-hmm. and led to the markets being too high, and it has to correct itself, so on and so forth. It's all, it's mm-hmm. all madness of our capitalistic si- uh, system. And so a lot of folks will ask, you know, how does this not get flagged eternally? How weren't they as diversified? Um, I think it's more so... I thought I don't think you see what they call it. Can't see the forest for the trees, meaning you see a tree or two, but not understanding you're actually in the forest, and that's how folks get lost in the sauce. Well, ain't that what Gucci said? You can't have too much sauce. Some folks get lost in the sauce, and so sure. uh, they weren't as diversified in a portfolio. Meaning, um, I mean, the tech stocks were booming. Um, you had people taking loans, you know. Uh, it was all-time highs and, and yeah. home buying valuations were going up. And so I think people, like you said, like I said before, can't see the forest for the trees, don't see the bigger picture or the downside protection, and they overweight in the sector. And uh, just like the uh, financial crisis where we had too many mortgages out there and, and not enough money to cover these mortgages, and people were just getting mortgages left and right, and then they just stopped paying them, and boom, now you have a mortgage crisis. So this wasn't mm-hmm. the same but it was just overweighted considering what's going on with different parts of the sector. And uh, that's, I think that's the hardest part about the, the financial sector is just so many moving parts. You know, you got small cap, mid cap, large cap, you know, you got private companies, you got public companies, you know, you got interest rates, you got the fair rate and, you know, you got commodities, you know, you got wheat, corn, copper, gold, now you got crypto. And I think one, one move on one meter, you know, it's like those uh, sound boards in the studio. You turn one, and it can affect the whole the whole scope of a song, and uh, that's the, the the most difficult part about 
our financial system is that if you miss a beat or a day, you can be behind. And that's what I'm talking about when I say they got 400 years of a head start on us and we trying to catch up to them. Well, since you're a big investor and all that and everything, how did you first find out about this? Because my companies are all in Silicon Valley Bank. And did once you found out before Twitter and everything, right? Or Yeah, the email is just going crazy. Okay, and okay. Then, I, then I had a couple of folks saying, uh, it was another bank a lot of folks were saying, move your money to. First Republic Bank is another bank that a lot of startup companies use. And they had a similar issue, but not as bad. And so people were rushing to move their money there. And then like 40 minutes later, they were saying, whoa, First Republic might have a problem. <laughs> so people were setting up accounts and then they had to get rid of the account. It was it was a lot of uh, maneuvering going on. But I mean, I, I think we were very safe in our assumption that the government would step in and uh, figure out a way for this to get done. Because I think once if Silicon Valley Bank could have been bought, it would have helped the situation and it was going to happen. But um, also um, with interviews, the CEO of SVB, the bank, didn't have a good interview. And he said the wrong word in the interview. I think he said, don't panic. And when a banker says, don't panic, usually everyone panics. It was one of those situations and it was too late and it was it was over. But yeah, I, I had a ton of emails going off all weekend. It started like Friday. It was a Thursday night, Friday. And, and then the conversation went through the weekend. But I think we were kind of we, – we were nervous, but I think we kind of knew, like, at the end of the day, um, you got to figure this out. The bank can't let this happen. You know, you got that that word, uh, too big to fail. You know, you got some banks that are too big to fail. Like, this, if this bank fails, the world's going to end. Um, I don't think we were at that, but it, it would be yeah. a turning point in uh, the future of our future you, businesses that hopefully run the world. And you were getting emails from the bank or your people? My people, because I had one company okay. that had like twenty million locked up, couldn't get out. So like payroll, couldn't make payroll. You have a whole company that can't pay people, you know. But mm -hmm. these are all smaller businesses, so these aren't like big businesses. Because yeah, some folks yeah, will yeah. argue like, why are we helping them out? The issue has been somewhat resolved, and uh, we'll keep an eye on that and keep y'all up to date. Point forward. All right, now it's time for our down for that clown for that part of the the, the pod. Uh, we spoke in the earlier talking about March Madness. And I feel like I had a segment just for this, or I had the topic. And what it is, you spoke about Duke uh, post tweeting uh, the UNC not getting into the tournament, yeah. they got locked out. And so, with UNC, you know, the Tar Heels not making a tournament, uh, obviously, they would get an invitation to the NIT. We're speaking of NIT, correct? Correct, correct, correct. The Tar Heels immediately reject the invitation after failing to make the big dance. <laughs> now you played in NIT, so I'm yeah. very I'm very interested in your take on this. Are you down for them rejecting it, or are they clowns for rejecting the invitation? Uh, I think I'm clowning it. You clowning it? You think they should have? When? Oh, I mean, I just think I'm down for it. Yeah. Well, I gotta clown it because I figured you were down for it. I just, I just felt like you just gotta finish it off, bro. Like, however, whatever position you played yourself into, like, it's just part of just being a man and showing up. Like, 
Yeah, it ain't I'm, like you didn't have the best backcourt in the country. It's not like you didn't have the best big man in the country. Like legitimate, I, I don't think it's for anything else. But a lot of guys are going to the pros next year. This is kind of groundwork to show them how to be a pro. You know what I mean? Like playing that, making sure you actually play the game the night before All Star break. Make sure you play the game the night. You know what I mean? Finish out the season, play eighty two type type stuff, but. Like reward the dudes by taking it easy by like literally having the most underwhelming. Like they literally had the best backcourt in the country and the best big man, and then they got hella money in NIL. Like nah, dog, you playing? I hate arguing when I know I can't win. <laughs> but but this, I'll, but I play Man, devil's like, advocate. No, Back no. in the day, I, like Harrison Barnes team and them, I think they rejected the NIT too. So I feel like this could be a North Carolina thing. Well, when I was in college, I always said, if we don't make the tournament, we don't deserve to play basketball. That's and, that's a good enough argument. Now, I like that argument. Look, look, yeah, no. we don't make the tournament, we we not playing basketball, period. Like we no, no, no. We hold ourselves right. to a different standard. Like everybody gotta go. I'm cleaning the house. Yeah, but but it's but explain why. Like tell people why. Like Because we set ourselves to a certain standard, you know? We're considered we're considered a basketball school. You know, you got football schools, you got basketball schools. And I think at Arizona, which is very similar to UNC, we're one of the top, um, you know, revenue generating the basketball resources. teams in the yes. country. You Correct. know, like our school is heavily ran by the, you know, financially the basketball team brings in the most money, which is very rare. And, you know, we just hold ourselves to a certain standard. Um, you know, they were just in the national championship last year. It's like, you know, maybe they had a hangover. Let's regroup. You know, let's right. let's go back to the drawing board. You know, uh, did they have injuries this year? You know, um, and then, you know, you don't want to lose in NIT. You know what I'm saying? It's like if I'm losing at halftime in NIT or if I'm losing in the last five minutes, I'm taking my ball and I'm leaving. <laughs> no, I hear you. No, I'm joking. No, you, <laughs> but no, that's the vibe right. I'm feeling. <laughs> no, because it is it's bigger than just the L. It's a brand. You know right. what I mean? So, the like, branding. When you add it up, that's you know these smaller teams and everything will run with it if they you know it's it's literally a thing for forever like no nah, yeah, bro we yeah. in the nit bro like i saw uh the other day i just think it should be a cakewalk then like with all the resources you're bringing up everything you have every resource you have the pick of the crop you probably got seven or eight five stars on your team this nit should be a walk in the park so if you can't win in the nit dog. yeah but i saw Wisconsin playing Bradley, and Bradley That's from a, Illinois, Peoria, yeah. Illinois. And Shout I, out Sam in the Scout Cup. And I'm looking at the game like there's no way I'm watching this game right now. Like I tried to watch the game. I'm like, let me watch this for four or five minutes. It's, it's no way. It's no way I'm watching this. And so I don't – my brand doesn't want to be a part of that product. And that's what I was talking about, the expansion of the tournament. The expansion of the tournament waters down the NIT. So it's just – like, what are we accomplishing? It's like a toilet bowl. I don't know if you're familiar with the toilet bowl. We had the uh, Gus Macker three-on-three tournaments. So you lose your first two games, they want to make sure you get more games. So they got the loser's bracket. So essentially, like the NIT, you won, like, a trophy with a toilet on it. I never mm -hmm. understood who came up with that term, toilet bowl, and you actually get a trophy with a toilet on it. I like that. <laughs> you some you would, shit. You would like that. <laughs> I like that. No, don't get them. That. That's a shitty group. <laughs> like straight up, I like that. 
I actually you just you just sold me on that one. Yeah, so, I'm right now. Yeah, y'all do do. Now, <laughs> now, the so so my argument against going to NIT. So I got two sides. Depending on what type of group I have. If we just had a fluky year, things just didn't go our way, injuries, you know, uh, maybe I had a couple players with uh, engineering majors and, you know, just brains couldn't figure it out. They were too, courses too loaded. All right, we ain't going to NIT. But if I had a just a bad group that needed to be punished, I'm sending them to the NIT. That's my statement, and I'm sticking to it. I think one thing too, I don't know if you, like uh, underclassmen, it would it would benefit underclassmen really really well. Like say if you had a team full of all freshmen. Oh okay, I like that. Or like sophomores or whatever else. I mean that 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 playoff rep, those uh those March you know March Madness type vibes, it it, it fares well for like uh you know guys uh getting their maturity and getting experience. Bruh, I'm gonna be honest with you. When you show up, you like, damn, it ain't so shitty after all. Like, <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll continue to apply myself. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, literally, because they're making it like a big deal. I'm like, wait, what? And then by the time you got back to campus after winning it, everybody's like, congrats on 65th place. Like, <laughs> like there's no, there's no stuff. There was no, there was no like celebration or nothing coming back from it. Like, That's Coach funny. Mike, yeah, Coach Mata's like, I didn't recruit y'all to win an NIT championship. Like, y'all got one week. It's Blackley. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's just like, y'all got one week. I only did this so I can teach y'all a lesson. Right. And, like, right. get this experience. But, like, this is ridiculous. We don't we don't win this. Bro, we didn't see that trophy ever since, bro. I think you might have left it at the arena. See? And they got mad at me for not going to pick up my – I think my junior, I got third place in a high jump. And I ain't go to the medal stand and get my medal. I left it. I said, if I don't get first, I don't want it. They were so mad at me. It's like, you don't understand. Kids get opportunities. Never go to state before. Like, this is a dream come true. Man, it ain't my dream. <laughs> I, I think that's like I keep going back to that. Being a sore loser is a good thing. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Like, I don't know what other quality you're supposed to have. I don't even understand like when people are like competing and you see people compete with like or like shout out to people that compete with a calmness. But I'm like, you're trying to compete versus me. I'm trying to like bite your shit off. Like not you know what I mean? Like you see dudes yeah. out there, like yeah. think about a Drew Drew Hardy. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like Drew will be out there so cool, so calm, like and everything, like not mad, like emotion is not up. And it's like I, I don't know how. And then if he loses, he just goes home and kicks it. But he picking you up ninety four feet, so yeah, true, true. true, true, true <laughs> I saw true. him, I saw him get called for an awful call. Yeah, when he, he gets mad, I saw him. He was so mad. Yeah, yeah. But he just flipped the ball to the ref and kept moving. I said, "Huh, that no, is only, that is a Christian man." Only time I saw him get mad was in practice that one day. Was I there? I think you might have been there, bro. It was like BJ kept calling bad calls, and and uh. And um, he called one call when he posted up Lou Will. And I think BJ called like a travel. And Drew was like, you can't be serious. And Lou was like, dead serious. Check out. <laughs> <laughs> and Drew got Drew got pissed. He got the curse and everything. That was the only time I ever seen him really get mad. He was like in the post trying to post Lou up. Like, please give me the ball. Like, bro, oh, yes. you don't remember this day? I'm I like, don't remember it that vividly, but I remember I him. Do. Yeah, I was like, bro, what? What's? What's gotten into you, Doc? 
You know. You know Billy, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot. You're right. Maybe we can get Drew Holiday back on here. Last time he was, uh, we got the interview, he was out to trap or some shit like that. Yeah. yeah. What's his nice. name was over the house interview, uh, interrupting uh, George the dude, Hill. The dude from, uh, what is it, uh, Meteor Man? What, <laughs> <laughs> the Golden Lord? The Golden Lord. George, That's a classic. George, That's George probably on HBO Max, too. I, I don't doubt it, bro. <laughs> Meteor Man. Yo, the the one underrated movie was uh shit. Three strikes. I can't find it anywhere. Remember three strikes? I don't give a fuck if you're going to Beijing, baby. I'll take you there. (laughs) (laughs) Why you leave a little homie on stuck? Right? Leave a little homie. Why you moving your hands? Put your hands down when you talking to me. Yo, he said, I ran. I mean what? I ran. (laughs) Yo, that was the funniest movie on earth. I don't know. That movie and Trippin', that was my shit. The Trippin, was, on a, Trippin' was crazy. Yeah, put that on a sub stack. There we go. There we go. What, what category are we putting these movies in? Trifling. <laughs> uh, it's like it's like Ratchet. How did, how did it decide? Like, was it Comfort Food? It's like Ratchet Comfort. Like, Listen, man. <laughs> that type of shit. We went from Silicon Valley Bank, the second largest bank felon, and since the financial crisis, all the way to a trifling category of movies. Yeah. Call that range. We call that range. <laughs> Point forward. Now let's jump into our conversation with the great Louis de Guzman. Louis is a multidisciplinary creative that has taken his unique perspective and shaped it into collaboration with the likes of New Balance, A Bathing Eight, and Nickelodeon and the hometown Chicago Cubs. This conversation is going to be equal parts interesting and inspiring. We hope you dig it. Yo, what's up? What's up, everybody? Today we have a special guest from the art world, one of my favorite artists, Chicago-born, Filipino-American, the infamous Louis De Guzman. What's up, bro? Welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. No doubt. Thanks for showing up. So, uh, Louis, let's start off just easy, man. Tell Tell us how you got here. Man, just being that kid that never gave up on what he really wanted to do. I think for me, it was like growing up in the western suburbs of Chicago, I was like a, one of probably four Filipino kids in my high school, the quiet Asian kid, they would call it. And we're like, hey, like, you know, I, I was just always into art, you know, and that was like my escape to kind of like communicate with people was creating work and just being good at drawing class pretty much and kind of like amounting to something that like I believed in as a kid. My parents always kind of pushed forward. For them being immigrants, it was like, hey, like, you're the first born in the U.S. Like we need you to like just live out your dreams, and it's always been like that. You normally hear the opposite. You know, you're, you're the first generation, so you have to be successful. So you can only limit your options of what you can do as an adult. You know, doctor, lawyer. You got to be successful, and you know, there's a higher percentage chance that those fields will produce more than you know art. And so, when when did you know you were good at art? I think I knew. I want to say sixth grade. Yeah, I think it was sixth grade because I had this story that like I was in art class and my teacher was like, hey, we're going to have like an all middle school art show. And I did this painting with Q-tips or something different. And I went on family vacation. So I missed the art show and I came back. She's like, oh, you won first place out of like the sixth, seventh, eighth graders. I was like, oh, that's that's tight. Okay, cool. But I think it was more so I think 
not really knowing, but just feeling that I was like, this is what I really love to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think every day we just try, you know, want to try to get better. And I followed it up by asking, where was that breaking point? Where was that moment where you knew like I'm right there on the cusp? And if I can just get over this hump, I can really pursue this. When was that moment? I think that moment was, um, man, I want to say junior year of high school. Junior year of high school, I knew that I would like really want to pursue this. It was meeting with my counselor, you know, my, you know, every kid has a counselor in, in school and it's like, Hey, like, you know, ACTs are coming up. What do you want to go to school? And, you know, we see that you're really progressive in this. And my counselor at the time was like, Hey, you know, there's a, there's a profession that you could go into called graphic design. I'm like, Oh, what is that? Cause I was always, I was always into fashion sneakers and like mm-hmm. in high school, I like would literally trade up for my brother's Jordans, like wearing like fives and stuff. I'm like, man, like, how can I get those fives? How can I get these pieces? It's like, you just got to trade me up, like, you know, work hard and see what you can do here. And pretty much like I was always into things that kids in the suburbs that weren't really put up on, you know, and I would, you know, hitch rides with my brother and his friends, like St. Alfred and leaders at the time. So coming to the city, you know, a chance rapper on them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like at that time it was like coming to the city from um, the suburbs. It was like, yo, like I'm, I want to know more about this. Yeah. And I just started drawing, throwing graphics on t-shirts. And next thing you knew, I was like, oh man, like I, I really love this. And people started asking me for like freelance work at the time. And it just kind of took off from there. Did it ever cross your mind that you would be able to do what you're doing now in a sense of you went from being a sneakerhead to, you know, a hype beast in a sense to designing for, you know, New Balance, having your own 574, working with Bapesta and, you know, were you going along those lines? Was that something in the back of your head that you wanted to do? Were you infamous of like a tinker? Any, anybody like that? Or was it just like, you just like creating? I just like creating, you know? And I think like, you know, from Babe, like to Nego and the Nego and Pharrell starting BBC after that. And these brands, I was like so immersed into street culture. And I felt like I was onto something or knew about something. Cause like me being from the suburbs, you know, there were kids who look like our Filipino, but their families told them to pursue engineering, nursing, doc, doctors. And my family always pushed me to like, hey, do what you love and it was art. And yeah. I think I didn't know, you know, I had no idea. And I still kind of pinch myself every day. I'm like, oh, I get to work with these brands that I used to look up to, you know? And I think it's like a testament to not giving up and still kind of having that same mindset because yeah. there's kids today who kind of like, if it doesn't hit quickly for them, they want to continue like to like, all right, I'm going to try something else. And yeah. I always tell people like, oh, just keep your foot on the gas. You never know where it's going to go because you're still going to keep like progressing and moving forward. Right. And you think that's something we always talk about uh, guns and butter, which is like the people think it's a macroeconomic principle. But it's yeah. basically, uh, you know, a scene from the movie Baby Boy, you know, with Ty Re- Reese yeah. and Vinnie Reigns. I don't know if that outdates you, but discuss a little, you know, micro decisions that you made in a certain situation that paid off huge in the long run. Do you think it was something in regard? I heard your mother was, a, yeah. you know, you might have got your love from creation because your mother was a, a, was a florist? Yeah, she worked yes. on flowers on the weekends. You know, okay. she, wow. yeah, my mom worked in like the nursing home realm as like an activity director. Okay, nice. You know, Monday through Friday, but back in the day, like she would like find other ways that she could make money on the side, you know, because, you know, coming here from the Philippines, they didn't really have much. Yeah. And so from her, it was like, what can I do? And craft shows and working with flowers and her own thing was like her escape and what she loved to do to kind of put art out there. So she took me to these craft shows. I would sit there and for me to like, 
you know, because I was too young to be by myself at the house. So yeah. she would take me with her. That's right. No one would babysit me. And for her to keep me busy, I would just sit there and she would bring a stack of paper. And I would just draw anything I saw. Yeah. So it really got me into like, oh, this is, you know, this is what you like to do. This is what you're good at. So she plays a big role still to this day. And I think like it's paying attention to those moments, kind of yeah. like like indulging yourself and not like, you know, just kind of seeing what's beyond the hobby, mm-hmm. beyond the love of it. And and, and, and you're doing like a 10,000 hour effect. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. So when you're yeah. getting, before you know it, she's making a, you're watching a master at work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. you're just putting in your 10,000 hours. And like, much like us, we've had tons of time to just go out and hoop and dribble. And, you know, people say like, yo, how are you guys so tall? And you're able to handle the ball and stuff. And it's like, no, we fell in love with the game. And I, we were outside naturally dribbling every single day. So nobody was like, yo, you want to become a great ball handler and a point forward and go be a four-time NBA champion yeah. and do some <laughs> shit where now you're passing it to the sh- one of the best shooters ever. It's like, no, nah, you ended up working on your craft and honing it. And uh, like we said last, you know, pot, you know, uh, when you learn, that's where innovation comes from. Yeah, so. it's it's like your self-discipline. Yeah. I'm like, imagine those times you guys were kids, like being by yourself with a basketball like on the court, no one watching you, just having these dreams in your head. Yeah. I'm the same way too. It's like, yeah. I grew up in the, like, you know, just being in the suburbs in a bedroom drawing, mm-hmm. getting excited about something. Like if I saw something I liked, I like literally stepped back. I'm like, whoa, this is fire. Mm-hmm. You know, being, being your own hype man, being excited, but like also staying grounded and like knowing that like you can get better every day. What was your breakout moment where that, this was my play or this was my piece that opened the eyes of the folks you've been working with, you know, what piece was that that opened New Balance's eyes or Bapes' eyes? Or I really want to talk about Nick Nickelodeon. Oh but yeah, that's, yeah, hard. that's oh, what yeah, I want to talk about. That's that, big time. But what bro. was your what was your breakout piece? <laughs> Man, I think well, it's funny that you say Nickelodeon. And so the breakout piece, I would say, 2015, 16. I have just moved back from Los Angeles, and you know, I was still doing design work for RCB Gallery and just Don. You know, okay, Don, yeah. Don's yeah, a big brother, and you know, and like okay. learned so much from yeah. him and. The yeah, family energy. over there that like they, yeah. you know, just working under them and going back to the micromanaging of like, how do you take things in? I just kind of like stuck to be like, all right, I'm going to take everything in and, and ask questions, keep asking questions, keep learning. I moved back to Chicago from L.A. and um, it was it was a friend's birthday and I was like working on this like uh, this Homer Simpson drawing just for fun. And I had never used color before that. Like I always did black and white sketch work mm-hmm. with my style, but it wasn't as like intricate as it is now. And I applied color and like <laughs> painted it up and I took a photo, put it on Instagram. And next thing you know, everyone's like, this is crazy. What is this? And I just kept going. I'm like, let me just keep doing the other characters of this. Cause I love the Simpsons. Like every yeah. day after school, yeah. come home yeah. at five, yeah. watch it on Fox. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? Yeah. So I did that and I kept doing that for like four or five weeks. And it kept getting traction on Instagram. I just go to Kinko's and get prints made of these little drawings and prints. And uh, I don't know if you guys know Drew the Barber, No Cuts, No Glory. Drew's yeah. the big homie. Yeah, he he DM'd me and shout out to Drew. He DM'd me. He's like, hey, like, I love your work. Like, would you want to do a show at my barbershop? So then we took those prints and we did a show at No Cuts, No Glory, the original location. Damn. You know, and because of Drew and his and his family and them, like they really believed in what I was doing and it kind of just led to the next thing and took a swing. And from there, it was creating that uh, Elevate sculpture, the Bart Simpson yeah. sculpture, which then led to Nickelodeon. Yeah. Oh, oh, so wow. that led to Nickelodeon. Then, yeah, when they okay. saw that, it led to um, this woman, uh, Glenda Beltran. She was at Con, and we did beauty that at Con. Yep. 
And she's like, this is crazy. Like, what is this? I'm like, this is just a, you know, a geometrical sculpture that based on these illustrations. And she's like, you have to work on SpongeBob. It's the anniversary next year. And I was like, say less, like, let's do it. Did you understand the magnitude of that? Or, cause sometimes I think we do it as athletes. Sometimes we don't know who we are because the systems around us, they dumb our genius down. Yeah. So we don't realize our full potential. And so they benefit most when we don't realize our full potential. Absolutely. That's just every arena. And and so for you, did you realize how big of a moment that was? Like Nickelodeon is huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I, I was just excited. Because how yeah. old were you at this time? This was three years ago. I was 29. 29. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, and it was like, I don't know. It was it was a whole thing. I'm like, whoa, like this is crazy. You know, like it, it, it wasn't, I didn't realize how big it, big it was. Cause like for me, it's like when I get prompted for something without even talking about the deal or even having the real call, it was just word of mouth exchange. And here's like an orange card that says Nickelodeon. And it was like, yo guys, like, I think we're about to work on SpongeBob. And we get back to Chicago literally two days later and I'm emailing her with my manager, Austin Neely. And we're like, yo, can we take a call? And, um, Next thing you knew, I was like, I that was the same night I got to meet Jay Balvin, you know. Oh wow, okay. So Jay yeah. was like, yo, yeah, like so okay. I met him in passing. So I yeah. met Jose first. Jose came up to the booth, like, yo, your art's crazy. And we switched contacts. And then Glenda, like an hour later, Glenda Beltran came up. She's like, This is crazy. I work for Nickelodeon. I would love to work with you. And before that, Jay's like, when we we're at the booth, Jay's like, Oh, we should do something together. So I get back to Chicago. I'm at Lifetime on the treadmill and I get a call from Glenda and it's like, hey, let's do this. And then I like text Jay Balvin. I'm like, yo, bro, like I have this opportunity with Nickelodeon. Would you want to work on SpongeBob? He's like, say less. And then we, that's when we made it like a three-way collaboration. Wow. Just by persistence and chance. Thank you. That's Thank you great. Persistence and chance. So, so obviously Nickelodeon was a huge deal and you didn't know that at the time, but were there moments like when the Cubs, your Chicago kid, when the Cubs came knocking, yeah. were you like, man, now this is getting serious? Or was it like the bathing ape situation or some so much of like new like to have a new balance shoe is crazy? Because right now Nike does their thing, but if you're really steezed up, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. You feel what I'm saying? Like new balance is really like that. You feel what I'm saying? Absolutely. I think um one thing my mom always tells me to this day, like keep your feet on the ground. You know, like take it all in, enjoy it, share it. But don't like let it get over your head. And I, I've always been like that. I just think for me, I just love what I do so much that I just want to keep doing it and experimenting and taking new ideas that I've always had. But now this is the platform to make those ideas come to life. Yeah, you know, and I think it's like you might have like plays in your head that you want to run, and all of a sudden you're like, yo, like let me do this, like for this game. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, but now it's like for me, it's like things that I had in my back pocket when I was a kid or a teenager. I'm able to apply those now, years later. Well, discuss your style because, uh, you know, one thing that's noticeable, you like a lot, you went from doing black and white to, you know, a lot of colors and but your style is mostly abstract. What made you, you know, fall in love with kind of yeah that type of situation? Like a lot of people do different type of, you know, no, sneezes. I mean, it's just experimenting, but I think a lot of it was being at these crash shows with my mom, you know, she was like the only like Filipino lady in a room full of Caucasian women. Yeah. And they would have like intricate blankets, woven tapestries and patterns and I love drawing patterns and details. And then I just started to mess around with it where I like, if I were to like take like a tapestry, but break it apart and those little shards of shapes, yep. how can I bring it to life and form something? So that's like what really broke it off. And then for me, it's like, okay, how can I apply this to things that I love? 
like nostalgic mm-hmm. things. And now it's, I'm in a mind space where like, I like to create things that really are going to kind of build a world around what people are used to seeing. Now here's a, something I'm trying to figure out and learn. So I've gotten an art, uh, obviously Evan, best friend, uh, but a couple other friends, you know, uh, shout out to Kendall Hearns, who's yeah. in our space. You know Kendall. Uh, Kendall yeah. Our okay. Shout out our okay. house. Yeah, shout out our house. Yeah. But one part I just can't figure out, and I've heard there's been some, this has been a touchy subject in our spaces. How do you value yourself? In the art space, there's no telling who's saying what's worth what. You know what I mean? So what's the process like in determining your value how much you charge, you know, uh, depending on who you're working with. I think for me being in such a medium realm of like what, what we apply of like materials when it comes to sculpture, like bronze casted, like it, we're not lying. Like it costs this much to produce, you know? And then like, how can we charge about the time? Mm -hmm. It really depends honestly. And like, I think like as artists grow, their work tends to grow and get more, um, in demand. People start asking for more, you know, sometimes like, I'll be honest, like when we get, track down for painting is like we don't have any to sell people because our inventory is so low yeah. you know i can only produce so much at a time with a team but it's like yo like what do you have what can we make what can we buy so i think to your question like your answer for your question is like it's like about i think elevating the quality of the work you uh-huh. know what i'm saying like you'll look at something and like the longevity of the work and the artist too but it's like as artists like myself in the space so new we're still sharpening our tools, sharpening the quality of the work mm-hmm. that like, you know, before maybe it was like a $2,000 painting, but gratefully we've been able to sell paintings for 15 to 30K, yeah. you know, depending on the medium and the size. Um, it's funny cause I joke around with my, like, well not joke around, but like my best friend, Austin Neely, who's my manager as well. Like I've known him for years and you know, he's very key on like making sure that we price it correctly and fairly, you know, yeah, it's like right. for square footage and like, you know, yeah. et cetera, but you know, I think for me, we put I put so much pride into what I do that like when people ask me like, oh, how much is it worth or how much it's like asking how much I'm worth. It's my life. Right. Yeah, you know, right. like I'm doing this every day. Like I'm dedicating my time, my brain power, energy and thought process to make things that I enjoy and a job for artists. And, you know, for you guys as well, it's like we make people happy. Yeah. You know, you can't pay for happiness. You just you have to you have to earn it and yeah. be in a spot where not even earn it. Like everyone can be happy. You just got to choose to be. It's just yeah. what you resonate towards to, okay, I do want to invest in this because I'm investing in goodness. And I yeah. think for me as an artist, like I, I love that people come up to me like, hey, like your work makes me happy. I've had people, I was just at a convention in November at DesignerCon in Los Angeles. I had this like older gentleman who's probably like 15 years older than me. He's like, during the pandemic, I worked in finance. My son and I happened to watch a, you know, a work from home. My son and I watched a YouTube video about collector toys and I saw you come up. And ever since then, I decided to leave my job in finance and pursue art. Oh, that, wow. to me, true. is what more than money could ever pay for and buy. I want to tap on that because you spoke on elevating, you know, your craft, your work. But right now, just go, a guy going to, you know, museums and stuff and seeing, you know, some of that contemporary stuff and some of yeah. the older arts that they say is the most valuable. Yeah. Right now, we're in a space in a lane where it's open, where you're able to elevate the culture, like you just told the story of. And... um. He speak on how big of a deal that is because right now the streetwear, the hype beasts and fashion and sports and art is at an all time high. Oh, it's and, crazy. And even media wise, we call our production new amendment. And it's like we're able to tell a new story, a new narrative. So like discuss that to be able to be one of the newer guys really making a splash and thank you. Uh-huh. And, and 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 making art that really relates to our culture and is 
doing a huge splash across, no. you know, every demographic. No, thank you. I mean, honestly, it's such a humbling feeling, but it's like we have like these like this uh, responsibility to create things that can help shift the culture. Yeah. But like, I think it's about not being afraid of our ideas. And for me, it's like, I've always had these ideas. I was always, I was afraid at once because I was always such a shy person. Yeah. But now I'm like, I feel so confident knowing that like whatever we do, whatever we make, like it'll help shift or kind of attract that one other two people to do that too. So it's about not just like us, not even, I want to say controlling the narrative, being a part of this big community that's growing. And also like, making sure that it's still alive, yeah. adding fuel to the fire. Because with kids these days, they have everything at the palm of their hands. They could look at a painting or look at a sculpture or experience something in a second with like Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Like, yeah. you know, sometimes I find out things before, like about myself or people find out things about themselves before they even know about them about themselves. Yeah. It's like, right. wait, what? You know, I think it's our responsibility to kind of like keep adding more good fuel into the fire as artists, you know, and for you guys to support brands, like obviously you got fresh sneakers on, you got infinite archives on, you know, you got like, no, it's just I'm like, gonna... it all comes full circle. You know, it's like, as artists, we're kind of, I would consider like creative athletes in a sense. We have to keep sharp our mindsets. We have to be healthy, but then also like expose goodness into the world. Cause like a lot of attention is on us now too. They, they look at us for like shoe collaborations. Yeah. Like, like they used to be all athletes, but it went from, from athletes to musicians. And yes. now artists. Yes. And that's you know dope. what I'm saying? Yes, it's dope. Yeah, dope. artists and fashion designers. Like mm. it went from yes. being a Michael Jordan to being whomever you are and mm. be having a heart and like pursuing that. So discuss the creative process. You hear a lot of yeah. different artists, like yeah. or even just Tarantino. He might you hear him <laughs> up in a Las Vegas hotel room, five women blow and just creating he said so, the n-word a bunch of times yeah and the n-word a bunch of times <laughs> yeah, as well Jesus. and uh that's how he came up with Django, i guess yeah. Yeah. yeah so so i'm wondering like what's your creative process is it something where you you know you go out and to just walk around and be like i saw this is this dope or do you just lock yourself in a room and create i lock myself either in a room in my home or in a studio and mm -hmm. I just like to have good conversations. Like right now, this is the creative process. Oh, okay. I could go back to the studio Monday and be like, oh, this is what I took in from this talk with, you know, Andre and Evan like this weekend. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's my creative process is communication. Oh. My creative process is understanding where I am now and appreciating where, what we have now. That's Thinking about like what I've been through and like the things that I am, am thinking and want to see. And currently it's funny that you asked that because now like I'm working on this new body of work that's like completely opposite from what people are used to seeing from me. I'm actually like expanding more to be building a world like a one like a wonderment universe that like will take you on a journey and discover these new things that you'll like find. So my process for that was just like living life honestly right now and just like being curious, yeah. you know, like even like looking out the window as we talk, like we're in Chicago in the middle of, a, on of the, the best biggest cities, cities in the world. In the world. Yeah. That's all the inspiration I need and the process I need. I think the process for me is like honing in and like being disciplined too. you yeah. know, like my girlfriend will tell you whether she's like, I'm up early trying to get the work done and trying to like really be like disciplined. Like I treat myself like I'm like, all right, we got a game tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. You know? Beautiful. That's beautiful. You know. I want to ask you about, you know, we always ask all our guests the same question and we get totally different answers. Yeah. Suffering from your success. Mm -hmm. So as an athlete, you know, you get thrown a bunch of money early in your life. We have no idea what to do with it. And it leads to a lot of trauma and just navigating different evils of the world. Yeah. Um, and that's all from your success. Like who would have thought you get to where you want to be 
and then there's a lot of sadness in it or there's yeah, a lot of like you know thing. family you know especially when the money comes in so how has his success affected you in a negative way if any way um negative way i'll say personally being harder on myself mentally that's real that's real you know i'll be real like it's like yeah. i i pride myself yeah. in always being i've always been an optimistic person i've always been grounded because my family is like you know hearing about my cousins in the philippines or hearing about my mm. family like who've never even stepped foot in the us like that keeps me focused in oh, on, like great. why i'm doing this i'm doing this because i have a bloodline of people who weren't able to even sit in a nice place to have an interview weren't able to have a clean glass of water like we just had when we walked in yeah. so for me it's like it hurts because sometimes it's like oh like this mental capacity of mine is like it's it's aging i'm getting older we're getting yeah. older you know all this success is great but it it hurts sometimes because you know at the end of the day it's like you know we're alone like we we go to sleep alone like our heads we're just like in our own headspace and i think like it affects because it's like as sporadic as our thoughts are it keeps it doesn't stop yeah. i think it was not so much of a negative thing what it is but i'm learning to like control that even more you know all honesty i think we do that as athletes a lot like i there's been times where i got home was like yo if i don't get this button up it's closed curtains because you can't mentally continue to beat yourself up yeah. you know what i mean when you expect just more out of yourself but i think you do need to have some sort of edge where you hold yourself to high expectations absolutely you know? that's, yeah. that's what you're striving for and so you know uh, i appreciate that because that's just beautiful to hear um on a lighter note i would like to know um what's been your favorite collab thus far that's hard yeah <laughs> i think damn um, it's like asking you, like when you won the first one, like how do you feel? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's hard. Right? They, they all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The like, first one, you so you so the first one is you so stupid, you have no idea what just happened, because you don't really. The first one's so hard because you don't quite know what it's like to win it, so you don't know what it takes. So yeah. you're just like, and the last two minutes are like an hour. So you're like, yo, we're up nine with two minutes. The game's supposed to be over. Now it's only, it's like, man, wow. it's 1.50 on the clock, bro. I swear we just had the ball for like two minutes. How's only 10 seconds went by? Wow. This, another 10 seconds take forever. I'm like, why is this game taking so long? <laughs> it took forever. And then finally the buzzer, and I was like, is it over yet? We could, we could, we could celebrate? And then it's like, wait, what did we do now? And so after the first one, I've had other teammates with like our third one was their first one. They did the same thing. They were like, what, what happens now? Like you just have no clue. And so there's there's different ones, different reactions to, to different championships. So it's kind of funny. But I guess this is a question I thought about. Is there a collab that you're dreaming about or like your, like your dream collab? Yeah, what's a championship for you? Yeah, it's your dream collab. collab or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 I think going to what you said about the first one, and for me, it's like every collab we've done, every project we've done has been a dream. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, they're all my favorite because they've all took place in different moments in my life that I'm here now. Mm -hmm. And I know how to accept that, you know? But I think for my dream collab, it, I mean, I, I can't even say, I, I, a fashion house would be crazy, you know? Like we've gotten to do- Good know, counsel. Yeah, shout out to you. Shout can do a point four collab, get some coats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Some shoot. Yeah. I, like I think um I think for me it's um it would it would be a front facing collaboration that would be a very like a permanent structure in a major city. I would oh, love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I would love yeah. that. Like 
I love what we get to do on a scale of four or five feet. But if we could do something that's like a building size or something one day, not essentially like a fashion club, but a front facing like public uh, installation. Uh, I got something would, for you. That would be it. Uh, I'll do some work with Teachman Spire. Oh. Man. All right, all right. After this, we gotta talk after this. But yeah. that would to me would be everything because I think for me, as I said earlier about like what I love to do and what I've learned that I love so much about what I get to do with the team every day is like we keep it between us. You know, shout out to Austin Neely and Amy Tran. Like we keep it within the studio and within us and these ideas that we share on group text and what we really passionate about, but then we share it to the world and to the masses and had people tag me in places I've never even been to. I've never even been to Japan, but we got to work with Babe. You know, I haven't been to, to France. I've never been to Paris. Damn, so I was really? To go. Yeah, you ain't never, been to Japan? Never been to Japan. Uh, I mean, Japan? go now. I know, yeah, I, like, go now, yeah. hey, I, know I gotta go. I, I just this. went, so yeah. it blew my mind. You worked with Babe and never went to Japan? We got to work with Babe and never went to Japan. That's wild. You gotta negotiate better. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but I mean like, I think I, I, my dream would just to be to create something public facing that will continue to inspire other people mm. and have these kids probably reach higher than I've ever reached. Yeah. That's, that's the dream. That's the dream yeah. collab right there. I think, I guess to follow up on that, where do you want your art to be remembered in like 20 or 30 years? I just watched the Basquiat yeah. you know, documentary. I was able to go to his exhibit in Brooklyn. But how do you want... You know, in, in a perfect world in 40, 50 years, when you're done and, you know, sitting back, how do you want your, your art to be remembered? Like, what's the the narrative that you want to, to paint that, you know, everybody say? Yeah, absolutely. I think I want my art to trigger a sense of imagination. I want it to trigger a sense of enjoyment, of curiosity. I think when people see it, I want to feel like it's the first time they're seeing something like that for the first time. Mm. That, like, nothing is replicated. It just feels so new to them that, like, I want that, like, 13 18 year old kid to see when i'm like nine like 80 90 and they look at my piece for the first time they're like this is fire yeah i want to share this with the world like i want people to i want that it got me thinking uh i read a lot on you know how different uh generations are thinking and purchasing and interacting with one another and the G gen z x millennial autos but we're at this breaking point where we've had a group of kids uh, my son fits in his bucket 15 where you know they got caught you're in high school or middle school in the pandemic and your social interactions are totally different yeah but it's really changing the way they interact with one another the way they transact yeah. it's changed everything as an artist are you in tune with these things because i'm asking because i did read something like yesterday recently it was saying they're starting to get away from their cell phones like they're realizing their cell phones aren't good for them so they're going back to flip phones oh wow you know? know and then they're, they're starting to buy <laughs> like clothes that. differently you know, in terms, more, yeah. right. And they're like, they're being more conscious of how we're affecting, you know, the earth, you know, greenhouse effects or, yeah. you know, how much water's wasted with genes. Like what food they're consuming. Right. Yeah. You know, are there anything that you're paying close attention to not to change the way you do art, but just keeping a close ear to the ground and, and what people are looking at and looking for? Um, I'm seeing that a lot of artists and, you know, um, they're, they're starting to explain more their pieces, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think like, I've always had, like they're trying to, they're trying to like add more context to their visuals because these kids are looking at it and like they might think one thing, but the artist always trying to interpret something else. And I think for me, it's like, I think more explanation, you know, mm -hmm. the kids love to, like you said, get away from cell phones, but they do more research now, they like to read. My nephew just turned six today um, and he's sharp. 
as a, it's crazy. Like this kid is like excelled in what I wasn't that excelled in kindergarten. Yeah. I don't remember being that excelled. Right. And right. he's just like knows everything. And I'm like, yo, like you're way, you're too smart for how like you just turn, you know? And I think like, I'm thinking about it now. It's like, I think as artists, like we're getting more, we're prompted to do things that are more, um, like have more meaning to it. I, I mean, every art has meaning and everyone mm -hmm. has, has something to say. And I think for me, it's like, okay, like I want to keep my ear to the ground and of, of explaining more, having more context, having more positive feedback and like things that I can like tell somebody more, like more things to read, I guess. What artist is, has influenced you the most? And it doesn't have to be a specific artist in terms of it's you know, on paper, artists. but I mean, like it could be a music artist or an athlete, like who's influenced you uh, the most in your work? Uh, I'm gonna say I don't want to sound corny or my mom actually. That's dope. No, that's I that's love real. that. Yeah, my mom yeah. because all of her love and things that are around like it triggers me to like oh I like this. Her like knickknacks and antiques and stuff that she loves to collect or like mm -hmm. still holds on to. That's influenced me a lot because I still put it forward to this day. Like we shot a New Balance commercial last year, mm -hmm. and it like the second shoe we did revolved around her. You know, and she was in it. You know, it was like yeah. her Madavinas. We called it Madavinas, the five seven four, after named after her. Wow! And it was cool to like bring that whole thing full circle. And I think she's my favorite artist um, because she, you know, birthed me and was able to like hand me the tools and give me the tools to create. So a lot of people, when you get done with your work, is that one person that you rush to show and like get her response and say, "Look, is that." the person that you test all your new ideas out on or if no, she um, responds genuinely happy is that what you're like yo i got one actually yeah it was funny because i actually showed her something that i'm working on like the new body work i was telling you guys about i showed yeah. her like a initial sketch and she's like that's different and like in a good way she's like that's ah. awesome you know but obviously i show the team first but like for her like her or my girlfriend lily like i'll show them first before like get the initial reaction Cause like they, they spend so much time with me and they see me, you know, all the time. So it's like, if you know who I am and it's just like, does this feel genuine for my soul? They can feel this. your work. They can feel you in your work. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so yeah. is that how you sometimes that's communicate cool. through yeah, tour? Yeah, that's how I communicate. You know, it's like, hard, this is, like the initial reaction, is that fire? You know, that's why I love my team so much. You know, like they, they know me so well. Like my best friend is my manager. Like I've known him, we've worked together for years. Like it's been over a decade and he knows me. Yeah. You know, and then my one of my best friends, a good friend, Amy Tran, like works with us too, and she's amazing. She's a great assistant and really kills it in the game. And she knows me too. I've known mm -hmm. her since I was like 13, 14. Yeah. So it's like people who know me and feel like how I am and genuine enough, yeah. they'll keep me locked in and be like, all right, this is fire. Let's yeah. keep going. So, last question what, what piece of art did you create that you think is mostly you where you're like, yo, I laid my heart on this? Like, if I had to. Describe it like I like that one. Like, I like that question. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, what would you describe? Uh, upcoming, you better be having this ready. Yeah. yeah. Upcoming we'll piece that we're actually oh, dropping we ain't soon. Have that one. Yeah. Uh, upcoming piece we're we're dropping soon. Uh, called Moving Parts Zero Zero One. It's a multifunctional sculpture. It's a flower vase slash incense chamber. So it acts as two things. It's double functioning. So it's it's a flower vase and incense chamber. Oh, yeah, you're able to ashtray too. Yeah, yeah, you're able to. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that's a great I idea. Ask me to talk later. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because my one of my friends saw that. I was like, "Yo, this makes for this." I'm like, "No, no, no, this is what it's for." But it's it's extremely me because it brings cues from my childhood. Yeah, things that I grew up with, like flowers, like my mom and stuff, yeah. and. I love scents too. So it's like 
you're able to control the narrative. Like this thing is my favorite because it's, they come in two meter colors, put it in your home and you're able to control the way it looks by, based on the color, the flowers you pick for the color palette and the scent of your room based on the scent you choose to light up. So at the same time, it's like. So you're obsessed with flowers and you chose a lily. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's big time. Good for you. You living right, bro. For sure. I like that. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about your wild side. You too humble. Bro. That's what I'm saying. So, like, where do you create from? It's something. You know, like, like, okay, so like Steph Curry, right? <laughs> Steph Curry's like a perfect human being, right? And sometimes I'm like, bro, you got to have some weird fetish or something. Like, there's something weird about you. What's the weirdest thing about you? Weirdest thing about me? Uh, I don't have, I don't, honestly, no, nah, this is That's me, good. Bro. That's good. This is me. I'll be honest. Like, I'm, it's funny because people are like, oh, like, I remember one of the first shows I had in Chicago. Someone came up to me, he's like, yo, you must do a lot of something. I was like, nah. Like, I'm high on my own mind supply. Like, That's I don't, dope. I don't do, I, I, you know, I'm nothing against that stuff. I just, I just never indulge in it, you know? I think what, what my weirdness is, is just like, I'm still the same person I was. Like, I don't switch up for anybody. You know, I keep it true, you know? Um, but I will say, like, yeah, I'm, I have a big obsession with, like, Disney and Walt Disney. Like, I do a lot of research. Okay. You watch Atlanta? Atlanta? Yes. Childish Gambino? I have, yeah, I have. Yeah. That's one of the best oh, Okay, shows. I want you to watch the last season's episode on Goofy. Oh, I gotta oh, see yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I haven't <laughs> seen that. Story of Goofy. Yeah, that was a great movie. Is that a good the one? TV show. That's a great TV show. Just watch that one episode. Yeah. And it was, uh, <laughs> Disney hired a black man to be the creative director. And he started creating their characters. After, <laughs> he started making them black characters. And Goofy was like a black guy. And how he had to like navigate through the Disney cartoon world as a black guy, like the minority. And Goofy was the word translated for nigga. Oh, but it's incredible. It's, it, it feels like a real story. Like when you're watching, like, wait, this really happened? I got to Googling, like, this really happened? That's what Everyone I did. was. Yeah. Everyone was Googling because they thought it was a real story. That's how... It's crazy. Until crazy. he did the Tootsie Roll, that's when I knew it wasn't real. Once he started doing the Tootsie Goofy dance like that. Are you right? <laughs> you never know, bro. That's crazy. Once again, Lewis, I appreciate you. Thanks for pulling up. Thank you guys for having me, man. Man, keep creating. And, uh, you know, I'm going to get Dre a gift of one of, the, one of your toys or next uh, installation. And yeah, yeah, I'm gonna when keep... you guys are, have time back here in Chicago, you studio's not that far from here, so you guys are more welcome. Yeah, we will be there. We're going to pull up, bro. We're actually going to pull up yeah, and, and pull do up, a little bro. extra for sure. Yeah. That'll be yeah, lit. Yeah, thank you for the time, man. I'm no. looking forward to it. Uh, make Thanks. size 16s, y'all. <laughs> Thank you.